0: often in the epistles, when Paul talked about a particular subject, he would support the idea with a general truth that actually stood out from the flow of his discourse. In 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about marriage relationships and whether it is good to be or not to be married. And he reasons out whether men should or should not have wives. Then he says it really doesn't matter. And in verse 31b he says, For the fashion of this world passeth away. That's 1 Corinthians 731 b For the fashion of this world passeth away. Now in this passage, fashion does not refer to clothing designs. That's why it's necessary that when you're reading the scripture to understand that it was originally written in Greek and it must be translated. He's not talking about clothing, clothing design. He's not talking about Gucci and all that other stuff. In this, uh, in this context, fashion in the Greek is schema, spelled S-C-H-E-M-A. S-C-H-E-M-A, pronounced schema. Listen, it denotes a transient, external semblance of a thing. Schema, that which denotes a transient, external semblance of a thing. Transcendent means, excuse me, transient. Transient means short in duration. Transient means short in duration, lasting only a short time. As I said, schema denotes a transient, external semblance of a thing. Transient means short in duration, lasting only a short time. Semblance is an outward appearance or imitation of something. That's a long way from talking about designer clothes, isn't it? As one writer puts it, the form, the fashion of the world is like a splendid, gilded pageant. It is unreal and elusive. In other words, he says this world is lacking actual substance lacking reality or actual existence. He says this world is elusive, as in having a false appearance. So this tells us then that as it relates to eternity, this world is transient. This world is only lasting for a short time. And as it relates to reality, this world is but a semblance of what is real. We must understand that because of sin, our our environment has a semblance of reality. Our reality is a simulation of what God created in the beginning. This is difficult. This is difficult for us to comprehend because this world appears to be actual. It appears to be real. Why? Because this is the only world we know. However, listen to this. Consider this. That which is actual and real really exists. And when something really exists, it is impossible for it to become non-existent. When something really exists, it is impossible for it to become non-existent. How do we know? Second Corinthians 4.18, 2 Corinthians 4.18, 4, Paul says it very well. 2 Corinthians 4.18, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Why, Paul? For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Is that what it says? So we must also understand that whereas eternal things are real and indestructible, Temporal things are unreal and destructible. So what this means then is that if everything in this world can be destroyed, then everything in this world is unreal and temporal. That makes sense to you. Think about it. Think about it. What in this world cannot be destroyed? What in this world cannot be destroyed? Everything in this world is destructive, including the human body of flesh. And once again, this is difficult for us to understand because from the moment of our birth, our souls are housed in physical bodies that seem to be real and seem to be tangible. However, truth be told, our bodies are temporal, which means they are unreal and destructible. How do we know? Second Corinthians 5-1. Second Corinthians 5-1. Second Corinthians 5-1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, right, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. So the earthly house is the physical body of flesh that shall be dissolved and replaced. In the Greek, dissolve is kataluo. In the Greek, dissolve is kataluo. K-A-T-A-L-U-O. Kataluo. K-A-T-A-L-U-O. It means to destroy in the context of permanent annihilation. To destroy, to dissolve, to destroy in the context of permanent annihilation. First Timothy six, seven, Paul says it very well. He says, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we will carry nothing out. You're not going to even leave here with the body you came in. So our physical bodies are transient here for a short time. Our physical bodies are mere semblances of what they could have been and what they will be our physical bodies of flesh are temporal our physical bodies are unreal and destructive and and destructible and so is the earth how do we know Matthew 24:35 Matthew 24:35 Jesus says it very very well heaven and earth shall pass away but my words shall not pass away Matthew 24:35 so this heaven and earth are temporal therefore they are unreal and destructive. However the word of God is prophetic and eternal therefore the word of God is real and indestructible. 2 Peter 3:12, 2 Peter 3:12, 2 Peter 3:12. He says the temporal heavens and the earth shall be replaced with a new with new heavens and a new earth. He says looking for and hastening into the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved. There's that word again, dissolved. That word again, dissolved, it means permanent annihilation. He says, the heavens shall be on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So what we see here then is that the temporal heavens and the temporal earth shall be replaced with eternal heavens and an eternal earth. The the temporal human body of flesh will be replaced with with an eternal body. And the righteousness of God and the spirit of Christ shall dwell in them. It has to be this way. It has to be this way because righteousness is eternal. And because righteousness is eternal, it can listen because righteousness is eternal. It can only dwell in things that are eternal righteousness is eternal therefore it can only dwell in things that are eternal righteousness can only dwell in things that are actual and have the potential to be righteous does that make sense to you righteousness can only dwell in things that are actual and have potential to be righteous in other words a potential can only actualize in an environment in which actualization is possible. The righteousness of God and the spirit of Christ cannot actualize in the earth because the earth is temporal and destructive. The righteousness of God and the spirit of Christ cannot actualize in the earth because the earth is temporal and destructive. Therefore, the potential for righteousness does not exist in the earth. People want to heal the earth. Well, the earth cannot be healed. Because the earth is neither healable nor salvageable. Likewise, the righteousness of God and the spirit of Christ cannot actualize in a human body of flesh because the human body is temporal and destructive. That's why your soul gets saved. Your body does not. Therefore, the potential for righteousness does not exist in human flesh. People want to heal the body. Well, the body cannot be healed because, like the earth, the human body is neither healable or salvageable. Hmm. Romans 3.10. 3, 10, Romans 3.10. Romans 3.10. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, and their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Sounds like that man running uh, Russia. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So this clearly now explains the irrevocable corrupt condition of the world and human flesh. As I said, neither are healable Or salvageable. Now, yes, Jesus did heal the sick, didn't he? And he did raise the dead bodies, didn't he? But these healings and resurrections were temporary occurrences which were designed to demonstrate his power over sin and death. However, what we must clearly understand is that unlike the earth and the human body, the soul is actual the soul is real the soul is indestructible the soul came out of the eternal God therefore the soul is eternal God's love is eternal therefore the object of his love must be eternal God does not love your flesh God loves your soul why Because your soul is the object of his love because his love is eternal and your soul is eternal. God does not squander his resources. He doesn't squander anything. And the human soul is the eternal object of God's love. And only the human soul has the potential to receive God's love. Only the human soul has the potential to receive the righteousness of God and the spirit of Christ. Your soul can be righteous. Why? Because your soul is eternal and therefore your soul can house that which is eternal. As a matter of fact, the human soul is the only place in this world where the potential for God's love and righteousness can be actualized. For God so loved the world Jesus suffered, bled and died to save the sin sick soul. Because only the whole, the only the soul is healable. Only the soul is lovable. Only the soul is sal- salvageable. That's why we say he's my salvation. He saved my soul. 2 Corinthians 5:21. 2 Corinthians 5:21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So the only way he wouldn't put his righteousness in us is because our souls are eternal. Righteousness is eternal. I hope you're understanding that point. In this context, righteousness in the Greek is diakosune. Diakosune, d i k a i. O. S. U. N. E. D. I. K. A. I. O. S. U. N. E. D. I. K. A. I. O. S. U. N. E. Listen, it is a condition that is acceptable to God. Righteousness is a condition that is acceptable to God. That's why you need his righteousness in your soul so that your soul can be acceptable to him. That which is acceptable. uh, uh, It is uh, that is a condition that is acceptable, acceptable to God and conforms to all his commands. It is a condition that is acceptable to God and conforms to all his commands. Once your soul is righteous, once you have the righteousness of God in your soul, now your soul conforms to all his demands. That's why he says in the image of his son created us to be in the image of his son. As one writer says, since God Himself is the standard of believers, the righteousness of God is the righteousness which belongs to oneself from God. End quote. In other words, God is the standard of righteousness and he puts that righteousness in us so that we will be acceptable to him and that we will conform to all that he demands. That's why the scripture says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Why? Because now that I've been saved, sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost, I also have the righteousness of God dwelling in me. And once I have the righteousness of God dwelling in me, I am now in a condition that is acceptable to him. i am now in a place that conforms to what he demands does that make sense to you we got to understand though that the first being the first being uh uh, the the, excuse me the being of the first human was righteous his condition was acceptable to god however when sin entered the world the righteousness of god left the body and the soul and the being was divided that's why uh, that's why the lord said the day you eat you shall die Because at that point now, the soul was in degeneration. The soul began to degenerate. Why? Because I said the soul began to degenerate. The body began to degenerate because the body is temporal now, has become temporal, but the soul is still eternal. However, while the potential for righteousness left the physical body, the potential for righteousness did not leave the soul. Why? Because the body of flesh came from the earth, which made it mortal. But the soul came from where? The soul came from the spirit of God, which made it eternal and immortal. Earlier we heard Paul say we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Well, the building of God not made with hands is the replacement body for the human soul, a body that is not subject to mortality. It is a body now that can be righteous. So we'll have our righteous souls in a righteous body. The replacement of a physical body for the human soul, it will be immortal. It will be actual. It will be real. And it will be eternal. That's still hard for us to understand because we live in this world where things are not what they seem. Therefore, because the human soul is immortal, because it is actual, because it is real, it can dwell in a body now that is immortal, actual, real, and eternal. Yes, yes. Because we were supposed to be in bodies. We were our souls were not to exist designed to exist without a body. Mm-hmm. Revelation 9, 6, nineteen six. Revelation nineteen six the immortal, actual, real, eternal, and righteous body. Revelation says it says it's like that of fine linen, fine linen, natural fiber. John says, Revelation 19:6, and I, I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying. Hallelujah, For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. Is that what it says? Yes. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is what? the righteousness of the saints. Now, in the beginning of this passage, we heard Paul say whether one is married or not, it doesn't matter because the fashion of this world passeth away. I believe he said this. I believe he said this, Sister Cooper, because the only marriage that really matters is the marriage of the lamb who shed his precious blood for the redemption of his wife. Did you get that? The only marriage that matters is the marriage of the lamb who shed his precious blood for the redemption of his wife. And I wondered why the saints were likened to a wife in fine linen, clean and white. I thought about that. Well, listen. In the beginning, the first wife came from the first Adam. To be in eternal fellowship with him. Jesus is the last Adam. And collectively, the saints are the last wife of the last Adam, which come from him. Right. To be in eternal fellowship with him. Does that make sense to you? You see the parallel there. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it makes sense that sanctified souls clothed in righteousness would be likened to a wife. The scripture says his wife has made herself ready. Well, how did she make herself ready? How did she array herself in fine linen, clean and white? Revelation 7.13, Revelation 7.13, Revelation 7.13. And one of the elders answered saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Is that what it says? Listen to this. When a human soul comes out of this world, it comes out of great tribulation. And every soul that is born of the water and born of the spirit is also washed in the blood of the lamb. And when a soul has been washed in the blood of the lamb, it is now clothed in a robe that is like fine linen, clean and white. It is clothed in a robe of white of righteousness that is like fine linen, clean and white. And this robe that is like fine linen, clean and white, is the righteousness of sainthood and the covering of the Holy Ghost. This robe that is like fine linen, clean and white, is the righteousness of sainthood and the covering of the Holy Ghost. Thus, the soul is as a wife married to the Lamb. And because the soul is as a wife to be married to the Lamb, it has an invitation to the marriage supper. Revelation 19.9, Revelation 19.9. John says, an angel of the Lord saith unto me, write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Is that what it says? And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou not do do it not. See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So not only now is the soul a saint clothed in white linen, clothed of of fine, clean and white linen of righteousness, not only is the soul a saint clothed in the fine linen, clean linen of of righteousness, not only is a soul likened to the wife of the lamb, the soul now is blessed. It has an invitation to the marriage supper of the lamb. Why? Because the sanctified soul has the testimony of Jesus and the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now what this tells us then is that there is a correlation between testimony and the spirit of prophecy between testimony and the spirit of prophecy in this context testimony is not how we testify of past events that's why as i keep saying it you have to know what you're reading when you're reading the the bible because it was originally written in greek so you've got to know what the greek word is for it so when he says the testimony it is not when we stand up and testify of past events of our lives that's not what it is in the greek testimony is marturia m-a-r-t-u-r-i-a m-a-r-t-u-r-i-a Marturia. To give witness of future events. Just the opposite, isn't it? We testify about the past, but the testimony of Jesus is witness to future events. Jesus was a true prophet and he gave witness to future events. And in this context, spirit is pneuma. Spirit is pneuma an efficient source of power. An efficient source of power. Efficient meaning functioning without waste. Spirit, pneuma, an efficient source of power. And when something is efficient, it functions without wasting. Doesn't waste its energy. Revelation one. 1. Revelation one. let 1. Let's see what John meant when he was talking about the, the uh, testimony of Jesus. I hope you're getting something out of this. Yeah. Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Is that what it says? Yes. Which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ And all the things that he saw. So here we can see that the revelation of Jesus Christ is an uncovering of future events that shall occur. We must understand now. And when you think about it, all of the sayings in in the Gospels, all of the sayings of Jesus in the Gospels were prophetic. Almost all of them, bar maybe a few that were not, but they were all the majority of them were all sayings were prophetic. As one writer says, and I like what he said, the testimony of Jesus is the announcement of the gospel. Listen, the apostolic preaching of Christ as determined by the apostles testimony. The gospel, the apostolic preaching of Christ as determined by the apostles testimony and apostle is apostrophe S, which means talking about Jesus. Hmm. Let, let them call us a cult. I don't care. We follow the apostolic doctrine of the apostle Jesus Christ. We are the OG church. Hmm. The gospel is the prophetic revelation of that which shall come to pass according to the word of God. We heard the angel of the Lord tell John, I am thy fellow servant and thy brethren that have the testimony of Christ. So those who have the testimony of Jesus are those who have been born of the water and born of the spirit. These are the ones who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. We are the fulfillment of the testimony of Jesus. We are the fulfillment of his prophetic announcement. In other words, the spirit of prophecy has been fulfilled in us. We are proof that the spirit of prophecy in the word of God is an efficient source of power functioning without waste. Remember when the Holy Ghost swept through on Pentecost, the upper room on on their Pentecost. It said it sat on each of them that were sitting. It sat on everybody that was in there. It didn't sit on anybody that wasn't in there and it didn't drop on any empty spaces. Why? Because the Holy Ghost is an e- efficient power. It is an efficient source of power and it functions without waste. Hallelujah. How do we know? Isaiah 55, 11. I've, Isaiah 55, 11. The Lord says, so shall my word Be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So, what we must understand is that the Word of God is the spirit of prophecy. The word of God is an efficient power that functions without waste. In other words, the testimony of Jesus is a prophetic witness of future events in which there are no superfluous words or extraneous events. Did you get that? The testimony of Jesus is a prophetic witness of future events in which there are no superfluous words or extraneous events. The testimony of Jesus is an efficient, transcendent power. Everything that He says will happen, shall happen. Everything that He says will happen, shall happen. Two examples. I could give you, I could go on and spend another two or three hours giving you examples, but I'll just give you two. Matthew 20, 28. Jesus says, Even as the Son of Man came not to minister unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. In this passage, life in the Greek is suke. It is soul, the essence of eternal being. Soul, the essence of eternal being. In the Greek, ransom is lutron. L U T R O N. Lutron. Listen to liberate many from misery and the penalty of their sins. Lutron, to liberate many from the misery and, 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 and penalty of their sins. So thus in, this, in his testimony now, Jesus prophesied that he would sacrifice the essence of his eternal being to liberate human souls from misery and the penalty of sin. And on the cross, Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. He fulfilled his testimony. Second, here's another prophetic announcement. Mark 16, 16, Brother Winston. Mark 16, 16, prophesied out of, the body, out, of the mouth of, out of the mouth of God. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. That's prophetic. He, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. That's Mark 16, 16. This was Jesus' testimony. This was his prophetic word. This was how his testimony could be fulfilled. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's how the testimony of Jesus could be fulfilled. So what this means then is that Jesus was beaten all night long to fulfill his testimony and those who believe and are baptized. Jesus was nailed to a cross to fulfill his testimony in those who believe and are baptized. Jesus was pierced in the side to fulfill his testimony in those who believe and are baptized. Jesus was laid in a borrowed tomb to fulfill his testimony in those who believe and are baptized. On the third day, Jesus resurrected to fulfill his testimony in those who believe and are baptized. Every soul baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of their sins and every soul that has the indwelling of the the Holy Ghost is guaranteed to have the testimony of Jesus and the prophetic word of God fulfilled in them. Why? Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It is an efficient source of power and it functions without waste. That's why when Jesus fed the 5,000 with them couple of fish in that bread, he said, gather it up so that none is wasted. Mm. The testimony of Jesus is a powerful prophetic word of God that shall not return unto him void. It shall accomplish what he sent him to do. And we are the accomplishments of the word of God. And because the testimony of Jesus is an eternal, efficient power, he did not squander it on this temporal earth or temporal bodies. Why? Because they are neither healable, salvageable, or lovable. Right, yeah, the testimony of Jesus is the power of... Powerful prophetic word that heals the sin sick soul. The power, the testimony of Jesus is the powerful prophetic word that saves a soul with an everlasting salvation. The po- testimony of Jesus is the prophetic power of his love that is uh, unconditionally available to every soul. The testimony of Jesus is the powerful prophetic word that takes a soul out of darkness and into his light and into his <laughs> eternal kingdom. The testimony of Jesus is the powerful prophetic word word that actualizes the potential for righteousness in every soul that believes and is baptized the testimony of Jesus is the powerful prophetic word by which corruption puts on incorruption it is the power of God by which mortality puts on immortality The testimony of Jesus is the powerful prophetic word that seats sanctified souls in heavenly places. The testimony of Jesus is the powerful prophetic word that will not actualize in this temporal world, but shall be in the eternal world, shall be in us, and it will be a world without end. By the testimony of Jesus, we are the righteousness of God. By the testimony of Jesus, we are the saints of the most high. By the testimony of Jesus, we have peace. By the testimony of Jesus, we have joy. By the testimony of Jesus, we have the righteousness. By the testimony of Jesus, we have the love of God. By the testimony of Jesus, we belong to Him. By the testimony of Jesus, we are the called according to His purpose. By the testimony of Jesus, He will never leave us or never forsake us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. The testimony of Jesus is the powerful, prophetic word by which the dead in Christ shall rise. And those who remain shall be caught up in the air to meet him. Oh, the testimony of Jesus. Where would we be without the testimony of Jesus? Hallelujah. Glory to his name. Oh, bless his name, saints. Where would we be without the testimony of Jesus? Where would we be? We would be lost. Without the testimony of Jesus. We would be blind. Without the testimony of Jesus. We would be destined for hell. Without the testimony of Jesus. Oh give him some praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The testimony of Jesus. Is the powerful prophetic word. That says. Heaven and earth. Shall pass away. But my word. Is shall not pass away. Yes. First John 2, 17 echoed the prophetic testimony of Jesus. Hallelujah. The world passeth away, mm-hmm. but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The world passeth away, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever yes. one day this temporal world shall be gone yes, 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 yes. but those who do the will of God who are they those are the ones who are born of the water mm-hmm. and born of the spirit uh-huh. yes. the ones who have washed their robes mm. in the blood of the lamb Hallelujah. Hey. Mm. shall abide. We shall abide forever. Why? Because we have the testimony of Jesus. Let's give the Lord some praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, we thank you for your testimony. We are the fulfillment of your prophetic power. You, you, sent, you sent your word to heal us and to deliver us from destruction. And we stand here healed and delivered. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for this word. Anyone in need of prayer this morning? Anyone in need of prayer? All right. Any questions or comments?